0: Hey everyone, big news. Up Next in Commerce is now available for sponsorship. If you love this show and you, or maybe your company or someone in your network that you know may wanna reach an audience of supremely smart e-commerce leaders, then reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org. And I'll give you all the juicy details around what our strategic partnerships look like. Email me at stephanie at and let's chat. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond. With conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between, you'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of Mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. <music>
1: My first employee was my first cellmate.
0: Today, we have a treat for you. This is part one of a special two-part episode of Up Next in Commerce, a very rare occurrence, if I do say so myself. In this episode, you're going to hear the incredible backstory of David Israel, a multi-time, highly successful entrepreneur whose previous business, Pop Gourmet Foods, was featured by Oprah, no big deal, and whose current company, Good Planet Foods, is skyrocketing in valuation and popularity. But before he had those most recent highs, he endured some serious lows, including some time in prison. This is a story you will not want to miss. So buckle up for this wild journey and enjoy part one of this two-part episode. the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. David, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Stephanie. Nice to meet you.
0: Yeah. Super exciting to talk today because you've done so many interesting things, but where I want to start with you is what I know best with your history, which I was telling you before, back when I worked at Google, we had your company, Pop Gourmet, in all of our cafes throughout the entire campus. And that's how I even knew about you. And so I would love to actually start there about, you know, starting that company. Where did the idea even come from?
1: Gosh, I'll try to make it a short story. Uh, You know, First of all, I've been an entrepreneur since I've been, literally since I was 19, I've worked for myself. I left school and started, took over a nightclub that I was running, uh, nice. underaged. No big deal. End of the day, it just grew from there. And I, I think my mom just always ingrained in me that I needed to be a businessman of some sort uh, from, from when I was very young. So I started a company which turned out to be the, the, a very large company, very successful, and it was an upscale chain of of pawn shops. Okay. So third year in business, we're growing like wildfire. The founders of Costco, Howard Schultz and the executive team and the board of Starbucks invested in my company. Uh, the and, pawn shop yeah. company? Yeah. Wow.
0: Why? What did they want from it?
1: I don't, I don't want to turn this into a four-hour show and have you well, say- Well, no, we're going to go
0: here now. I need so, this. So <laughs> I need to back up a bit. Okay.
1: When I sold nightclub, went into foreign cars, started buying and selling those, when it's a jewelry business with a friend whose family owned the largest jewelry chain uh, in the West Coast, uh, they sold it. He wanted to start a business. I started with him. It was a nightmare disaster. Uh, I put every penny I had and believe me, I it, from all the cars that I sold, I piled up some money. I was just married and I got into the jewelry store business with this guy and he had no idea what he was doing. Uh, it was his family that ran the business. He worked there and we went into a mall that was basically when we went in stores started to close one by one by one. And we didn't know it, but what happened was the developer was selling it to Costco to build a Costco there. Uh, so they're just waiting for leases to, to go away. We signed for whatever reason, a five-year lease. This I think he didn't have the deal done when we signed it. So we had the longest lease. We ended up buying us out of the lease because we would I was going to lose everything, trust me, in that store. It was not working out. But I ended up making money because of the lease. Phone started to ring. And, Jewelry stores and other people in the business start calling me to borrow money. And I was like, mm. well, so I started a loan, a business loan business called First Funds. And I would loan jewelry stores, coin shops, precious metal dealers. I would loan them money, but I would take collateral because I, I just, I knew how they operated and I wanted to make sure that I was secure. Well, it led into pawn shops. Pawn shops started calling me. They can never get financed. I would go in and I would see how they operated in up. You know, there was no consistency. The merchandising was bad, but these guys are making a fortune, you know? So I picked up a fortune magazine one day and I read about this company called Cash America down in, in, in Texas and they went public. And what they were doing was they were buying and consolidating the old style pawn shops and turning them into retail operations. So I flew down there, took a look and I'm like, well, this is what I'm going to do. I want to create something better, that more retail oriented. So I did, I I actually, all you had to do is change my sign and it would have been at Cash America. Uh, I called it Pawn Exchange and I opened in 1993, my first store by 1996, I had 15 stores uh, and I raised capital from, again, the founders of both Jeff and Jim, a couple of their board members, Howard Schultz, several of their board members and executives all invested into this concept because I was taking the old school and turning it into something more presentable, retail-oriented, financial management. But as it turns out, uh, about seven months into, well, in October of 1996, I learned that the prosecutor is looking at me and was investigating me and my partner.
0: Just randomly? Or did they get some kind of tip? Or like, how does a prosecutor just start looking at you?
1: So apparently in 19, in our first month or second month of business, this man came in and sold us some merchandise. Okay. Not a big deal. I mean, we're a brand new store. I mean, everybody's coming to sell us stuff. I mean, that's how it works. We don't have inventory. That's so how you build inventory. Jewelry stores are sending us people that usually sell them jewelry. So this jewelry store from Bellevue sends this guy over, he sells us some jewelry. He got arrested. I don't know when, I think maybe seven or eight months later, and he was in prison and he wanted to get out of prison. So he reached out to the prosecutor and said, Hey, I can turn in my crime boss. It was me and my partner. Uh,
0: Oh, you're the crime boss.
1: (laughs) Yes. Uh, Wow. And prosecutor kind of bit, bit off on it with everything she had and gave him immunity, gave his two crime partners who were incarcerated immunity, gave my partner immunity, and I was the last guy standing. So they did charge me with this conspiracy for robbery and all this stuff. And December 2nd of 96, I resigned from the company because I didn't want to impact my investors. And it started out, excuse me, it started, it came in the mail, started out, it didn't start out as conspiracy, it started out as receiving stolen property or something. And then they turned it into conspiracy later. So I was never arrested or anything, but it was pretty terrible. I mean, the crimes were terrible. It was going to be like 25, 30 years in prison or something. At any rate, I hire an attorney. I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, He gets an investigator. He sends him out to this guy's prison where he's incarcerated.
0: And this guy, you don't really know, right? Like he just sold stuff to you. But
1: I do know, I mean, I could remember once I... Yeah. I mean, once it was in front of me, I mean it was, I was like, oh, yes, but okay, yeah. that this didn't happen. Okay. At the end of the day, my he won't he can't talk to our investigator, but the investigator talks to his internal counselor, and that's who that's kind of like your case manager in prison. And the case manager says, oh, oh God, this guy told me that he created this whole thing to get himself out of trouble. So the investigator comes back to my attorney. My attorney says, We we're not gonna waive the 90 day Yeah. Speedy trial law. We're going to rush it and get it in there because this is a done deal. And we did, we rushed it. We got to court within 90 days. Uh, and I'm thinking my life is going to be back to normal pretty soon. We go to court. We're there with the judge, the judge, the prosecutor says, well, before we get started, we want you to know that, uh, we contest this, this witness, uh, and then the judge says, why? Well, either privileged information or hearsay. And he says, well, I'm going to allow it because this is real. And this is someone's life here. So they asked for a recess. They went two blocks away in the appeal. And I went home for three years. Just like that. I mean, it was on hold. My life was on hold. All Everything was still, the cloud was still there. Couldn't go back to my company. Uh, so I, three months later, I started a company called, it was now called, it was called Driving Impressions. It's now called Quick Sip. We patented a system for the side of trucks that allowed for the tensioning of signs, like vinyl banners on the side of semi-trucks or any any type of box truck so they could, Costco uses it. I mean, it's all over the world now.
0: How did you just think of this? I mean, that's what's so impressive listening to you. It's like, yeah, I just started another company and then Costco's using it and I had this other, like, how did that idea even come up while you were still probably... I mean, I would be a little bit upset about another company that was doing well that you can't even interact with anymore.
1: Yeah, I did have to step away. It was still David Israel. Uh, that's I created everything there. I mean, well, from Cash America, but I did create everything myself. I was talking to a friend who had a, sign, a real sign company, and he's like, you know, I'd love to work with you. I couldn't get a job. I mean, there's no way I could get a job. Uh, so I had to do something on my own, and I had a young family. Uh, and what just happened wasn't a small disruption. It was enormous. I mean, I was in the media, I was on TV.
0: Mm-hmm. And you weren't getting paid from the other company anymore. No, right? When you were no, okay. I
1: was cut off. So yeah. we were talking, we are having a drink. He's kind of consoled me, right? I mean, people, I had, I didn't lose one friend, just one. I mean, he worked with me at my company and he wanted to protect himself. So I lost him, but everybody else rallied to, to my support. Uh, and just, I mean, it made me feel better, but I still had this cloud where I didn't know what was gonna happen. It was scary as hell. And you're always like, why me, right? I mean, why? And when you come from nothing and you build, you finally get somewhere, and I had all these accolades. It's like that's over. So, having drinks with this friend who has a sign company who did all the signs in my own pawn shops, he's like, you know, he goes, we should do something together. I said, I don't know anything about sign. He goes, you can work with me. And I was like, you know, it'd be cool if we did advertising on the side of trucks where we could sell it. Yeah, but the only way to do that is with those graphics, and you got to stick them on and. Costs like seven or 8,000 to put it on. And then you have to peel it off and the advertisers will pay it I said, well. What if we created something that we could, that was removable. And he goes, we could do like a frame. It was his idea. I mean, we, but it's just, we're just kind of ideating together. And I was like, it's brilliant. And he says, okay, we got a, some tech do not a, a designer. We designed this frame. We created the product. We called it driving impressions. And it didn't take very long, maybe four or five months. He continued to run the sign company. It was pretty decent size. I took this frame and I went to like these truck shows. And this company out of Las Vegas picked us up like that to put us on the side of trucks. So it went, it just took off. And we initially, we were installing it ourselves. I mean, I'll never forget. We flew to Las Vegas and we sh- put this frame. I mean, I had. Not, I wasn't very, again, if I'm bad at IT, I don't know how I got these things on a truck, but easy to line up and get on there. We got it done right. And it just grew really rapidly over the next three years. But then the three years is up uh, and this the appeal comes back and they agreed that we could not have this witness. I knew then I had to go to trial because there was no deal and they had increased the charges by then even more. So lesson, prosecutors don't like it when you fight back. They get they get even angrier. Uh most I think eighty-five percent of cases end in a plea deal. Maybe it's ninety, I forget, but wasn't gonna happen. I wasn't gonna the words guilty weren't coming out of my mouth, so forget about it. So we had six more months to prepare. My attorney's like, and it's ninety-nine percent you're gonna win. We went to trial in early nineteen ninety nine, six week trial, jury trial, three weeks of deliberations, uh, which was a Just extremely challenging, which is usually a good sign for a defendant. But they came back. They had a bunch of questions. They came back and they tell me guilt. Everybody breaks down. My wife breaks down. The guys come to grab me. I still haven't been arrested, just FYI. And the judge says, hold on, Mr. Israel's not going in. We're going to allow him to be with his family, get his life in order. And then he can come back and we'll have a sentencing hearing. So he asked my attorney how much time we need. And I think my attorney said 60 days. He ended up giving us 90 days, which I was thankful for. And I went home. My wife and I started planning for our family. How was gonna, how would this work? How are we gonna take care of our kids? How the, you know, the finances, everything, right? My, had to sell my business. I had to sell to my partner because the state would go after it, right? So had to sell out uh, and use that money to support my family. Anyway, my kids get out of school, they're young. Uh, it's June, and we're on a family vacation in Washington. So they're not letting me travel anymore. And I'm sitting in the sun, and my attorney calls me. Uh, and I, I'm answering. He goes, "Hey, it's Gary." He goes, "Are you sitting down?" I said, "Well, I'm. I'm laying down. I'm in the sun." He goes, "Well, you're not going to believe this." I said, "Well, I'm like how worse? How much worse could it get, right?" He goes, "No. The guy that implicated you has written letters to the judge and to the Seattle Times, and he's called us." And he wants to clear your name he wants you to be innocent
0: okay i don't know if i believe this i'm like i'm on this journey with you right now where i'm like i don't trust this but okay. no it's
1: true and i'm All like right. oh my god i'm like my life it's I'm, i get it back i mean it's literally just been i was beside myself yeah so they set up a hearing now because he's in prison they have to wait i get an extra 60 days <laughs> so my 90 days turn it into whatever you know 140 or whatever so now it's in september and we have this huge trial, or not trial, hearing, and they bring this guy in from prison and he's jackals jackhole, and they put him up on the, the stand and they swear him in and they say, hey, uh, you know, this, my, the judge says, your witness, Mr. Topel, my attorney gets up and the prosecutor says, excuse me, before he starts questioning Mr. Bryant, I would recommend that Mr. Bryant take the Fifth Amendment here. was look, I mean, it's just like, what? Why would a prosecutor tell the, So the judge says exactly that. He says, why would you tell this defendant to use She says, because we're trying to revoke his immunity and that's in appeals. And anything he says today, contrary to what he told us before, we're gonna use against him. His attorney stands up and says, yep, he can't testify. At any rate, end of the day, the judge says, well, someone wrote those letters and someone called David's attorney from prison. And that's those, we're gonna have a handwriting analysis done and we're gonna a recording and see if that's Mr. Bryan or not. So. Again, I go home for another 60 days. Uh, the judge determines it was him, reverses the charges. Uh, excuse me, not the charges, reverses the verdicts. And the prosecutor appeals. So another three years. So I got, can't get a job. I had to sell the sign company. The only job I could get was a janitor. And I started cleaning cabanas at condominiums. I think about four months into cleaning the cabanas, I'm pretty particular. You know, I mean... I'm, a little OCD. So I'm doing an amazing job. They asked me, can you clean, can you change light bulbs? Oh, I, I, of course I can change light bulbs. I'm not an idiot. Uh, hey, can you fix this? Well, so I can figure that out. So end up starting a new company called Home Pro. And within the next three years, I had 45 employees. Uh, we have started, turned into a construction electrical plumbing company. And I'm doing all the services, including Everything but uh, landscaping and major construction projects, I'm doing for 425 regional condominium complexes and their homeowners associations, managing all one-stop shop that's never been around before uh, to manage all of their maintenance issues.
0: How are you starting things up when you don't have anything? Like, was your wife over there able to kind of support or like, how did you start? Because a lot of people probably don't have money like that. And they're like, how did you start that?
1: Well, Listen, I mean, I had to buy vans. I had good credit, nothing happened to my credit. So I could, when everything was on credit at that point and it built really, that company scaled really quickly as well. I mean, I did, we definitely extended ourselves uh, with 45 employees and um, I think 30, 40 vehicles of different size. you know, these lifts to change lights, street lights and all this other stuff, plumbing equipment, I mean, everything. So we extended ourselves, but it turned into a very successful business year two, year three. So things are going well on the business side. My family and I are doing great. Our kids, we got them into this really exclusive school. We wanted them to be protected. The school really accepted us. You know, believe me, I was in the media all over the place. So they understood and believed me and who I was and allowed us in. I mean, I'm talking exclusive. I mean, Bill Gates was, the kids were there. We spent every penny we had literally on making sure that our kids' life remained as normal as possible and we could keep them protected. So it was all of, we weren't living a lavish lifestyle. It was going into their schools and then making sure they had, you know, good care and good programs after school and just be healthy. So the prosecutor did appeal. So the, the appellate court ruled again in June. They ruled in my favor uh, and they up, upheld the judge's decisions uh, that the, the verdicts were reversed. And it was over, but she could retry me. And that's what she was going to do.
0: Why? What did this person have? Like, why did they care so much?
1: (laughs) I'm the only thing standing for all these, all these crimes that these guys committed that she gave indemnity to. No one was going to be held responsible. I was the only last person standing. She gambled, spent all this money on getting David Israel. Uh, That's how it works. I mean, they didn't want to be wrong and they couldn't be wrong. So, uh, yeah, uh, she wanted to retry me and listen, I spent a million two so far cash. Listen, You know, I'm borrowing, I mean, we're kind of upside down. I've had to sell businesses. Now I have a new business. You know, we talked to an attorney, it's like $700,000 is what my fee would be. And that's upfront. And I'm like, you know, my last attorney told me it was 99% chance. I'm, I'm going to go home, you know, with a not guilty verdict. And that didn't happen even with this weird, you know, kind of evidence that didn't, there was nothing sticky, really. I mean, it was a messy, it was a messy uh, case. So I just said to my wife, I said, I, I just can't do this. And I can't put us into more debt. And I don't want to, you know, I said, and potentially go away for 15, 20 years. I said, I just can't do it. I said, I, I need to make a deal. And it's been seven years. Okay. So I get an attorney. He says, okay, they'll do 18 months and you plead guilty. I said, no, guilty is not, not coming out of my mouth. I said, I'll plead no contest and I'm not playing, there's no guilty. We negotiate for a couple of weeks and the best I got was four years and no contest. They really wanted a guilty. And I was like, you know what? I said to my wife, it's got to be a guilt. guilty. I said, it's got to be no contest or I, I have to go to trial. And I said, I, I'm, that's, I'm afraid of that at this point, not just financially, but I didn't, you know, like I said, a competent attorney said, you're going to win slam dunk basically. And I didn't. So she says, okay. So we, I made that deal. Uh, it was an old contest and I would do four years and, uh, yep. And I got to say goodbye to everybody. I got to go check in myself and I did. And I, my wife and I spent some time together. She drove me down and I checked in.
0: Hey there. Are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with UpNext Next in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. Jeez, four years. Yeah, oh but you gosh. know what? I mean,
1: here's the thing, uh, Stephanie, I mean... It was no fun. I wouldn't want to do it again, but I wouldn't change it. And I don't. my wife might change it, but I don't, you know, it made me a stronger, better human being when I was in business and I had all these accolades. And like I said, the founders of Costco and Howard Schultz, I mean, it's, you know, I was like, okay, I'm pretty cool. You know, I want this, I want that. And I need this to be feel good about myself. And I think when I came home, I was like, I want to, I just, I don't care about all this stuff. I really care about you know i want my kids to be healthy and happy i want my family to be together i want to help people uh and i, I saw things there that made me change as a person my perspective on the people incarcerated i don't know what you think or a lot of people's perspective is is that they're just idiots scum of the earth well a lot of them are not idiots right
0: yeah i think a lot of people are like you that are in there where it's like some
1: uh yeah. but some are super smart they never mm-hmm. had an opportunity they're victims of mm-hmm. their environment Uh, it's not second chance. They never had a first chance. Okay. And I saw this and I saw how the system prevented them from being successful when they wanted to not do it anymore. Right. I mean, so at any rate, my goal when I was there was to really make that prosecutor regret what she did to me. Uh, I wanted to be successful. I started looking at trying to find businesses to create while I was there literally from the third or fourth month. I mean, I started thinking about, I saw how guys worked out and they were using towels on their bars to pull themselves up for biceps. I'm like, okay, I could do this, something called fitness from the inside out, right? And uh, then I came up with this other idea uh, for, you know, this guy, these guys would wrap inside. I'm like, okay, why don't you do wraps that are more towards the educational side? So, you know, we could help kids and they could buy into it, right? And they'll listen yeah. to it and learn. Were uh, others
0: like in on it with you? Were yeah, they like,
1: yeah. They were super excited. Uh, and then... In my six six months, my last six months, these I was in minimum security. It's in state prison, so it was a real deal. These guys were making this popcorn concoction, uh, and they were taking microwave popcorn, uh, popping it, and then they would melt caramel, mix in peanut butter, mix it all up, throw in cinnamon toast crunch M&Ms, and chopped up Rocky Road candy bars, and then mix it all up in a big garbage bag, then put it in a smaller garbage bags, all clean, and trade it out. And... One day, everybody would get all excited when these guys made this stuff. And one day I tried it and I was like, this is, this is a business. So I had people start sending me information on the popcorn industry. And I wrote a small business plan. When I got home, I started looking at it. I started making this for my friends and family. And they were like, oh my God, you got to sell this stuff. So in 2011, I made a batch up and I put it in the plastic bags and I took it to a local grocery near my house. I dropped it off and the manager called me like two or three days later. He's like, hey, he goes, we wanna bring this in. I'm like, okay, I'll make it. I'll bring it to you. You guys can pay me when you sell. He goes, no, no, we're gonna buy it. And I called it the original big house and it was an unbelievable product. So I he started selling it and then they put it into three more of their stores. And I was like, hey, I, I have a business here. Uh, then I started adding other flavors and I did a caramel, really high level caramel. And then I did a high level cinnamon caramel. And it's selling really well you know and I, now i'm doing these samplings in these grocery stores and i'm like this is really fun and cool but how am i going to grow this business right i mean i have there's everything else on this shelf is a caramel or a this or that and there's nothing really unique about it so i said to my wife i said i need to do something more unique to make this uh, a more innovative product she said you should do chocolate salted caramel and white truffle those are really trending yeah. flavors right now <laughs> so i did uh put them on the shelf they started selling and now other stores started to call me. I'm like, okay, I have a, I need to get a place to make this. I can't make it in my home anymore. got a small facility and I hired a consultant, uh, in the food business because I didn't know what I was doing. And he, she tried the white truffles. She goes, this is the most amazing product I've ever had. She goes, you know, Oprah likes white truffle. I said, really? I said, well, I'll send her some. And I shipped some out to old magazine, uh, for them to try and
0: just their headquarters that you just found? Their I headquarters? did,
1: just yeah, in New York. And
0: How much did you send them? Just Five bags. Okay.
1: Yeah, um, several different ones, but mostly uh-huh. the white truffle. I mean, it was three white truffle, a, a big house, and a chocolate salted caramel.
0: Mm-hmm. Anything else? Any like stories behind it or nope, where it came from? Nothing. Or just the back okay. Nope.
1: I just said Product I heard it. Oprah likes Got white truffle. Yeah. I make an amazing white truffle. I mean, just, I wrote a little note. Yeah. Two weeks later, I get a call. On a Friday afternoon, I'm in this tiny little thing where I make my popcorns so about 1,400 square feet. I'm from O Magazine. I'm like, this is David. She goes, yes. Hey, Oprah loves your white truffle. We'd like to order five cases for, we're having a meeting here tomorrow. I go, tomorrow's Saturday. She goes, we'll give you our FedEx number, don't worry. She goes, can you, can you get it to us? I'm like, absolutely. I'm, we had to go make it. We made it, got it to FedEx, shipped it out. They ordered it a few more times and then they said they were putting in the magazine. It went ballistic. And that company over the next three years turned from popcorn into potato chips, into condiments. Uh, We were in 35 countries. Uh, I was at all Starbucks stores. I was at Google, uh, Facebook. We were almost every grocer in in the US. Uh, And then I licensed a food company in Russia to, to build a plant and to produce it there. And I licensed a company, a candy company in Japan to also build a plant and and distribute it there.
0: Okay, tell me more about that. That's interesting. I mean, yes, it blowing up everywhere here is very, of course, amazing and you know, got really popular, but why did you choose Russia and Japan and
1: they had reached out to us. Okay. They, you know, I think I was selling product, not in Russia, but I was selling product in Japan through a distributor and the very large candy company, one of the largest candy companies there called Mipami Kikago reached out and said, hey, we'd like to license it and make it here and sell it. And that just happened. It was great.
0: Got it. Okay. So
1: Russian, I hired someone to take care of my elderly mother and she was a Russian woman. I brought her a bunch of popcorn and potato chips. She gave it to her husband who happened to be a food broker who sent it to his boss uh, who owned the food company in Russia. And same thing. It's still thriving today. Wow. Uh, in Russia. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I, don't, I don't know how they're doing it right now, but they're doing it but you know, Stephanie, I left out something really important. I don't mean to go backwards. No,
0: go go backwards.
1: As I grew pop gourmet, I hired my first employee. Was my first cellmate. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, wow, who never
1: had a job, a real job, before. Uh, he went by Rex. Uh, he was an African American man who super smart. He said, "I wish I could be a businessman like you." I said, "You are a businessman." Uh, I said, "You, you have to." You have salespeople, you have customers, you you have have payables, you have receivables. He said, you had the wrong product, Rex, and that's why you're here. I said, but you ran a business. And he's like, oh my God. So he was my first partner. As we grew over the next three or four years, we hired 250 men and women that were transitioning and coming back into the society. And I wanted to give them opportunities. And many of them, some have still worked for me here today uh, at Good Planet. Some have gone on to other careers, some weren't successful, uh, but I really wanted to give back to the community. And I started working with the Department of Corrections to build uh, uh, these opportunities and, and to find a better pathway for these guys. I worked with the Virgin Group. I worked with Dave Killer Bread Foundation. Uh, I worked with the prosecutor's office and we all collaborated and I still do today. I really, like I said, it kind of changed who I am and I wanted, really wanted to change our community for the better. Uh, and give people opportunity to get their lives on track where they weren't before,
0: yeah, and see what happens. See that prosecutor that prosecutor made all this happen. first off, where is she today? probably watching she, all this right well,
1: She's probably not very happy with the success. I mean, when I once I got yeah. into Oprah and on TV, she's probably not too happy. Oh, you know, and I'm yeah. like, I wrote this business plan there, and it was uh-huh. really with intent. I mean, trust me, I was intent on coming up with a business there uh, to really piss her off. I mean, to really say, okay, I'm going to turn i'm going to turn this into something great somehow or another i was determined uh to do that not only did it work out for me but it worked out for the community like i said it changed me as a person to really become i think more human not just self-centered and doing it for david but to do it for the greater being i guess right
0: yep yep okay so you have Pop Gourmet Foods, it's taking off, doing really well. It looked like you were there for maybe seven, eight years or so.
1: 2011, I left in early 2017.
0: So then what was next? Did you sell the company or?
1: I sold the majority to a private office, a huge private office in New York uh, with the intent to, to continue to fund it and build it even bigger because I had a lot of opportunities with the brandings that I, I had partnered with, uh, with the international business that I generated. But almost immediately, they wanted to focus on degrading the product uh, and increasing the margins. And uh, I was like, mm, that's not how I built this.
0: Mm hmm. Now it's after you sold it already, like when it was already kind of in their hands.
1: Yeah, uh, it was in November of 2000. I sold we did the deal in like May of 2016. In November of 2016, uh, they they put the kibosh on a partnership that Oprah and I had just launched together. We were doing a collaborative branded product together and they wanted me to degrade the product. I'm like, mm, no, that's not going to work. So they pulled the plug on that project. And when they did that, I'm like, this is not, this is not going to work out. So I tried to make it work out, but it didn't, we just, we were butting heads nonstop. And I was like, okay, in early 2017, I said, you know what guys, you, you have control, uh, you, I'm not going to be a good participant here. You do it your way. And I left and I wanted to do something in the better for you category. And that's, was going to be my focus.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because that narrative is, you know, how even consumers these days see it when big companies come in and acquire smaller brands and you have to be so careful not to mess up what even got them there.
1: Yeah, uh, well, you know, egos and dollars, you know, I mean, it and not underst- It looks easy to somebody, right? I mean, here's David. I was never in the food industry and I created a, one of the leading snack companies in a pretty short time, right? Uh, and I was partnered with all these major brands, you know. They thought it would be simple. Hey, I mean, how tough is popcorn and potato chips and condiments, right? Well, there's a lot of relationships and partnerships. And that's what it's really about at the end of the day is making these connections and, and doing things that are win-win for everybody, not just your brand. And these guys were really, like I said, they were, they were profit-centric. So yeah, I just look, I was okay and I was confident in myself. I was like, I'm, I'm going to go do something else and I will i like the food industry and I want to do something better for you because that's where all my products are trending anyway. Was more from indulgent into better for you. I got an office, uh, and I started looking at what I might do.
0: How did you start looking? Like if you have, I mean, obviously knowing your north star of wanting to create food that was better for people—that's a good guiding principle. But how do you even start ideating on a, a whole new company idea?
1: Yeah. Well, first it was looking at opportunities where I could. So I'm not afraid being an entrepreneur. Some people say, "Geez, oh my God, I don't know how you came up with that. It was genius." I go, "No." If I was genius, I would have figured out all the reasons I couldn't do it, right? I mean, there's obstacles that are going to happen. And some people sit down and they're like, okay, they want to write a plan. and like, ooh, boy, that's going to be a problem. Ooh, that's going to be a problem. And pretty soon they don't want to do it, right? I'm like, this isn't an impossible. This is something that I think we can do. And it sounds like I could really be creative and innovative and bring the people something unique and better, whatever the category is. And I think I could figure it out. And to me, it's always why not, you know. Uh I'll give it a shot. So I really started looking at different categories and I wanted to see where it was stale and where I could bring something better, where there would be demand. It wouldn't be an enormous hurdle where David's not I'm not technical. So I I mean I it would have to be something simple where I could figure it out uh and ideate myself into something quickly. Initially, I don't know what I was looking. I was looking at like clean crackers. I mean, it was, it was in the snacking category because that's why I just left naturally, right? So I wasn't, it wasn't plant-based meat. That's for sure. So my sister-in-law was the one that said, Hey, you should do something better in the vegan cheese category. I was like, well, why would I, why would I do that? I am not vegan. I don't understand vegan cheese and really don't have an interest, right? I, I have to be passionate about something. She goes, they're terrible. They don't taste well. They don't function like real cheese. She goes, I bet you could do it. I'm like, she goes, try it. I go, okay. So I bought the two leading brands and I tried to melt them. Well, I tasted them. I tried to melt. They did not melt, okay? I mean, it was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, wow. Uh, I was like, this can't be that tough to fix. So I did start looking at it. And, you know, when I started looking at vegan, plant-based started to pop up, right? And it was really beyond meat. It was like, plant-based. And when I dug into that, I started realizing it wasn't vegan I get, dairy-free I get, but plant-based was really about doing something, the impact that these products have on our climate and our planet. I was like, oh my God, the facts that I learned about cow flatulence, the amount of water that's used, the amount of land that's used, I was like, this is terrible. And the things that are happening with our planet and our climate, this is something I can be passionate about. So I looked at plant-based cheese. Well, not plant-based. That word, that word, plant-based cheese, wasn't being used yet. I looked at the vegan cheese category, and I was like, boy, the ingredients are like this. I mean, it was just enormous, and they're not good. I was looking at dairy cheeses, and I was wondering, trying to figure out how they were how they produced. And there was a particular dairy cheese called Analog, where they used dairy powders and and oils to make real cheese, like craft Singles, some other processed cheeses. I was like, huh, why couldn't I replicate that with plant-based material? So I reached out to all these companies in Wisconsin where I, I had to find who made analog cheese. And there's was, there was a ton of them. And I reached out to them and I got no's either because they didn't want anything to do with vegan or plant-based or because I'm just too small and they didn't want to put a startup, right? And allergens and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, well, that's not good. I kept Googling and uh, I found this company in Greece, uh, on the island of Crete, and they made something called vegan loaf. And there was a picture of it. It was an analog cheese. And it showed it melting. I'm like, well, that looks good. So I ordered it. It showed up two weeks later, and I melted it and tasted it. And it did melt really well. And it tasted like a blah, just very plain American cheese. And it, had, it was transparent because the coloring wasn't really well. But the composition was there the, the, the foundation for the melt and a potential good flavor and texture was there. And this is what they made their they made this for other people for Ramadan and the Greek holiday and that was it. So I, I, I reached out to them and I wrote them an email and I said, Hey, I'd like to work with you. And they're like, no, like, why not? This is what you do. I said, I just want to, you can build this for me. I'm going to sell it in the U S and I'm going to create all these great products. Uh, you know, and I'll bring you a lot of business. And they're like, no, we don't trust you. You're in the United States. You're going to take what we do and you're just going to go make it there. I said, that's not how I do business. I said, let me come meet with you. So I flew there. I got off the plane. One of the partners takes me to drinks. It's on a Sunday afternoon, about three o'clock. The second partner comes, we go to dinner. So now we're together about six hours. I They're trying to introduce me to all this Greek food, which I know by heart because my grandparents were from Greece. Uh, my wife makes Greek food. I mean, I I'm very familiar with some, everything they would tell me. I'm like, yes, I know. My wife makes it. Yes, I know. My my mom made that. Oh, yes, I know. I make that. Oh, this is called Rocky. It's a very special alcohol. I said, my grandma made the Rocky. I said, first alcohol I ever drank. And they're like, oh my God. He says, you, I trust. You can have whatever you like. So I built these products, all the American, you know, like the American cheese, cheddar cheese, all the slices and shreds. And... I built the brand to connect with the consumer because that's—you can have a great product if they don't like your packaging and branding, and they can't connect with it, you're doomed. I mean, I learned that in the snack category. I mean, it's really—all these things are really important. So I, I, I came up with Good Planet, uh, small e because it was plant-based. It's good for the planet, and launched the brand in May of 2018. It just took off. I mean, like wildfire. In 2019, we were growing like mad. I was meeting with the directors of Beyond Meat, the board members uh, in Chicago, to talk about collaborating. When I left that meeting, I had to tell my whole story. Somebody asked, how did you start the company? And I'm like, okay. I said, well, they're like, well, how did you start the snack company? Because I had to say I left the snack company. To start-
0: you have to tell the whole story. You have to.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I'm thinking... It's the former CEO of McDonald's who's a board member of Beyond. I have all these funds. They have a big, huge fund. This is going to be over, right? I mean, they're not going to want to work with me because you never know, right? We leave the meeting and the CFO of the fund says, hey, if you're raising capital, we'd love to look at it. And you go, That was the most amazing story we've ever heard. And I said, well, thank you. You know, I mean, that's pretty touching. I said, I'm working on a deck for investors. I said, I'm going to have to raise capital next year. I said, I'd love your feedback on it. He says, okay. I sent it to him three days later. Two days after that, he, they wrote back and said, we'll do the deal. I go, what?
0: Ask for feedback, you get money. I'm Ask like, for I, money, you get advice. <laughs> right.
1: I said, I, I said I'm said i not raising capital right now. They go, no, no, we'll do it. I said, no. I said, I'm really not raising capital right now. I said, I need to build the value before. They go, well, what do you want the value to be? I said, well, not not the valuation it is today. I said, the way we're growing in six months, it's going to be multiply. And I said, I have a duty to my team and I have a duty to those who did support me with their investment early to create the most value. And he's like, look, we want to do this deal. What, what do you want the valuation to be?" And I said, it needs to be X. And it took two months, uh, but that's what they did. And I got the valuation that I wanted.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So fast forward to today, where's your company at like size wise or like how big is it now?
1: Well, It's grown uh, substantially. I mean, this is fourth year anniversary uh, of our launch was in May. Boy, I brought on this amazing executive team a year, almost two years ago now. My first hire was going to be a president, found a great candidate in Bart Adlam, who was the former CEO of Siggy's Yogurt. You know, he took them from 10 million out of 50 million. Look, I'm happy to create brands and create products and build partnerships and go out and sell and do whatever, right? I'm not a good people manager because uh, I, I, I'm more of a, you know, let's everybody hop on, let's go do it. You do what you got to do. I'll do what I got to do. If I drop the ball, you pick it up and run. You get to a certain size. There has to be accountability, direction. Uh, you know, you have to be managed properly. And some people need that, right? That's not David. I mean, so I needed someone that was going to be able to execute, build a team, hold me accountable right?
0: Okay. So David, you obviously have an epic story. We've talked about so many things, but we didn't get to talk enough about Good Planet Foods yet. So what I'm thinking is round two, we bring you back and we bring back your co-CEO, Bart, and we have the two of you and we get to hear about what you're up to. I want to hear all about his past. I know he's been a CEO at some cool places. He's done a lot of things and then actually see the dynamic between you two. How's that sound?
1: That would be awesome. What a great opportunity that would be. I- can't believe you're offering us to do that, but we'd be thrilled. And I'm sure, uh, yeah, I would love to tell the, a deeper story about Good Planet for sure.
0: Amazing! And now Bart's been put on the spot; he has to show up. So you make that happen.
1: <laughs> That'd be awesome.
0: And until the round two, thank you so much for sharing everything. This was amazing.
1: Well, Stephanie, thank you very much.
0: listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephaniemission.org at to get the conversation started.